As I mentioned earlier, our pastor was on vacation this week, and he asked me to preach in his absence. And as I was thinking about what I wanted to talk with you about this morning, I reflected on the state of the world in which we find ourselves today. And I can tell you, I can't think of a time when there's been so much division among people. It, it really is hard to believe what we see these days. I grew up in the 60s, and so I'm familiar with the, the conventions in 68 and the, and the, the riots in the street. Uh, and I had the privilege of serving in the Army during the Vietnam era, so I'm familiar with all those issues. But, but I've never seen the people in our country so divided against each other. Yet when I think about it more, I wonder why I'm surprised about this division. God's Word is clear. In Luke chapter 12, 51, Jesus says, Do not think I've come to bring peace on earth. No, I tell you, not peace, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. Father will be divided against son, daughter against mother. And in verse 49, he uses even stronger language when he says, I have come to bring fire to the earth. So if that's true, and it is, how am I to act in a world so divided, and how, as a church, are we called to react? What would God have us do in the midst of this fire? Now, we have to remember, this is not God's first trip to the fire, nor is it the first trip for the church. All we have to do is look back to the first century church, the church as we see it in the book of Acts. As we look during that time, we see political strife, we see war, we see religious division, we see moral corruption. Does that sound familiar to you? Is that reflective of where we are today? So today I'd like you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. I want to look in chapter 20, verses 22 through 36, but I really want to focus on one verse, verse 28. And I want us this morning to take a close, hard look at the church and to our responsibilities as a church and Christians, and I want us to think today, what is it that God would have us to do at Spring Valley Baptist Church in a world that we see so divided? Now, picture yourselves in this mind. Paul had spent three years in Ephesus, and he was coming down uh, aggressively preaching the gospel. He says in verses 20 and 21, I kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is Paul's third major discourse that we see written in the book of Acts. In chapter 13, we see him speaking to the Jews. Verse 5 says, when they reached Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues to all of the Jews. In chapter 17, we see him preaching to the Gentiles. He says he reasoned with the Gentile worshipers in the marketplace. Paul took the gospel to the marketplace. And here in chapter 20, he's talking to us. He's speaking to the church. Paul was in Miletus, just south of Ephesus. He was on his way to Jerusalem, and he didn't have a clue what would await him there but he knew he would never see Ephesus again. In verse 22, Paul writes, I go now, bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. And as he concludes his words to his friends from Ephesus, 
you see Paul speaking with the passion of a man who is giving what he knows are his last words. And the people to whom he was speaking hear it the same way. Listen while I read verses 36 and 38. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. Then they all went freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words he spoke, that they would never see his face anymore. We remember last words. Last words carry a special significance to all of us. You know, in history, we remember the last words of Nathan Hale. I regret that I have but one life to give for my country. We remember Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, 300 powerful words that begin with the phrase, four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth on this continent a new nation. We remember the words of MacArthur in World War II as he leaves the Philippines, I shall return. And we remember the words of Jesus Christ on the cross when he says, it is finished. And every child and every parent remembers the admonition as they're leaving home, be careful, come home safe. Last words have a special meaning and power. They reveal a lot about the person saying them and what they believe to be important. I had a friend that worked with me for a number of years. Some of you know him. His name was Keith Crow. And Keith had a seven-year battle with metastasizing colon cancer. Keith passed away on a Wednesday morning about 11.30. I had the privilege of being with him that night and the night before. And as we were sitting up, we had his room set up with hospice, and we were watching TV. And Keith was kind of in and out. He'd he'd doze off, and then he'd wake up. But at 10 o'clock, he woke up very clearly. And he turned to me, and he said to me, he said, you need to go see so-and-so. And he mentioned a friend that we both had. He said, he's cheating on his wife. He's having an affair. You need to go tell him to stop. You see, even in his last minutes of his last day, Keith Crow was more concerned about what would happen after he was gone than he was with what was happening to him as we spoke. The same holds true for the Apostle Paul. He speaks with a passion of last words. Let's hear what God says through him. And this is the core of what I want us to see today. And it's found in verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. The Greek word here is prosciate, and it means to attend to. I don't want to get into semantics debate because I think the principle is clear. Paul answers the question for us, what is the role of a church in a world so divided? It is, in fact, the care and feeding of God's sheep. It's important to note that he follows this with a warning. He says in verse 29, to watch out for the wolves and take care of each other. Well, who or what are the wolves? Later, he tells us that they're false teachers, people who would come in and destroy the fellowship that Paul had built between the people and God. But in a world so divided as the one today, there's other kinds of wolves that destroy our fellowship with God. Wolves are carnivorous. They hunt and they kill. And the things of this world will hunt and destroy us. Things like the pursuit of personal gratification, the next big sensory rush, preoccupation with money or with power or with things. Each one of these can consume you. And he's saying to them to watch out and take care of each other. 
And he's saying the same thing to us. The point here is protection. And Paul isn't talking about spiritual protection. Excuse me. Paul isn't talking about physical protection. Paul does not retreat from the world. He never let fear keep him from doing God's work. What Paul is talking about is spiritual protection. And so after this warning, Paul tells them what he wants them to do, and he speaks again of the feeding and caring of sheep. So we should ask ourselves the natural question, why would we separate feeding and caring? Well, let's talk about sheep. What happens if you feed them and you don't care for them? Well, they get fat, they get happy, and then the wolves come, or they wander off and they're lost. What happens if you care for them and you don't feed them? Well, they may be safe, but they die of starvation. What happens to people? What happens to us when we're not fed or we're not cared for? Most people go to a place where they feel fed and cared for, even if it's a poor choice. We see it in society all the time. Had the opportunity years ago to sit down with Dr. Percy Mack, who at that time was head of Richmond District 1, and he was bemoaning the fact of how many kids he saw at a very young age joining gangs. And his comment was, they don't feel like anyone cares. And I think that's true. We also need to recognize that caring is not always gentle. Sometimes it's very directive. We love the first words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But then if we listen to what he says after that, the verbs that he uses are very directive. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He guides me. And then he brings up the rod and the staff. Feeding and caring is not always gentle. This was confirmed by the words of Jesus to Peter. If you think back, Jesus has been crucified on the cross. He's been buried in the tomb. He's been raised. The tomb is empty. The apostles don't know what's going on. They're fishing one morning, and off to the bank, they see this person on the shore that they come to recognize Jesus. Peter is so excited. He goes running through the water. The rest of the disciples follow him. They have breakfast with Jesus, and then Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, do you love these people? Peter says, Lord, you know that I do. Jesus says, then feed my sheep. A few minutes later, Jesus turns again to Peter and says, Peter, do you really love them? Peter says, Lord, you know that I do. He says, then care for my sheep. And then a third time, Jesus turns to Peter, and you sense some tenseness in Peter's voice, and Jesus says, do you love me more than these others? And Peter says, you know that I do. And Jesus says, then feed and care for my sheep. See, these two actions, feeding and caring, were important enough for both Peter and for Jesus Then they're important enough for us. Let's first look at feeding. God's people are fed through his word. I think of Jesus being tempted in the desert by the devil, starving. Satan tempts him with bread, and Jesus responds that man is not nourished by bread alone, not by just being fed but by the very Word of God. God's Word fills us. It nourishes our soul, and it does it in several ways. First, God's Word teaches. The message throughout the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is love, obedience, faith, and provision, feeding and caring. 
God is showing us, and he wants us to show other people, how we can be the people he wants us to be. God's word teaches. God's word also encourages. We all have those aha moments when something is said that really energizes us. I think of Moses in Exodus chapter 7. He's fearful of what he's going through with Pharaoh. But in chapter 7, verse 1, God tells Moses, I have made you a God before Pharaoh, and Aaron will be your prophet. He encourages Moses to do the extraordinary. God's word teaches, God's word encourages, but sometimes God's word confronts. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, we read, All Scripture is given by inspiration from God and is useful for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. But don't stop there. Listen to the rest of the passage. He says, So that the man of God may be equipped for every good act of service. You see, it's not just about us. We're not to focus on just being equipped. We're focused on being equipped and doing something with it. It's about the acts of service. God's Word teaches. God's Word encourages. God's Word confronts. And God word, God's Word nurtures. In Acts 20, verse 32, he says, His Word will build you up. I have a friend who's a pastor in a church in Orlando. He gave the uh, chapel message three days in a row at Columbia International University. But you could summarize his message with 14 words. Do you have the faith to believe and the trust to accept the answer? You see, very often we pray, but do we pray with the conviction, knowing that God's going to answer? But when he answers, do we trust him enough to accept the answer, even if it's not what we would want? Where and how do we get fed? And more importantly, how do we feed others? God's Word comes to us in a variety of ways. For most people, it's a Sunday morning experience just like this one. Our pastor feeds us well from the pulpit each Sunday, but the truth is that Sunday morning should be more than just a worship experience. It should build a hunger in it for you. Church that is composed of just 25 minutes of preaching, 25 minutes of music, and 10 minutes of prayer does not fill your soul. It may give you the emotional high that you need, but how much better if this use was used by God to really put the desire in you, the hunger for more. Many of you have heard me talk about my friend Mike Suber. Mike was the guy that went to see the movie Deliverance and then came to get me, and we went down to Chattooga in a canoe. An extraordinarily bad idea, by the way. We took a number of river trips, and my wife and I have taken some. We've been on the Clark's Fork River, the Natahala, the French Broad. But the trip I remember the most, Mike and I had gone up to northeast Richland County. We'd crossed the Fairfield County line just around Jenkinsville, and there was a river there that Mike had wanted to take the canoe. We had a friend with us, a guy named Paul LaRose, so we took two cars, and uh, we parked the car we were going to leave in at a bridge, and Paul took us back to where we put the canoe in, and off we went on our excursion. And we were on that river for four, five, maybe five and a half hours. And we came to the bridge, tired, and we got out, we put the canoe on our shoulders, we walked up to the top of the bridge and got there, and there was no car. And so our first response is, someone has come and stolen our car. But as we looked around a little bit, we recognized this was not the bridge that we first came to. We were lost. What we knew is we needed to go west. So we put the canoe on our shoulders, and off we trudged down 321. And two or three hours later, we came to the right bridge. 
We put the canoe on top of the car, and we drove back to where we lived at the time. And Mike fixed dinner for us that night, and it ranks today as one of the best dinners I've ever had. It was country ham, grits, and red-eye gravy. And it was so good because we were so hungry. We were starving. That's the kind of hunger that we need to have for God's Word. Not the appetizer, my favorite meal kind of hunger, the starvation, sustenance level kind of hunger. That's what we should do when we're fed by God's Word. So be where God can feed you so that you can effectively serve others. And being fed, we have to care. My wife drives a 2005 Sequoia. It has about 185,000 miles. This car is in great shape. She takes really good care of it. Well, let me qualify that. Takes very good care of the engine. Inside of the car, not so much. But the engine is, it's, she always has all changed, tires rotated, belt checked. That car is ready for any trip that we need to take. And that's the first kind of care that God calls us to have, regular care. Because we never know when God's going to call on us to take that trip. When God's going to call on us to reach out to someone else. Regular care. Sometimes we need special care. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.18 that the groaning of our spirits is heard by God. Sometimes that special care is repair and redemption. Sometimes it's when circumstances overwhelm us. I have three very good friends whose names are Tobin, Eddie, and Cubby. These men need care. They've been through experiences in their lives that can only be described as tragedy. All in the last 18 months, Tobin lost his 22-year-old son who passed away in his sleep. A little bit later, a few months later, Eddie lost his daughter. She worked in Nordstrom's in California, had come home for Christmas, had left the house, was involved in an automobile wreck, and it took her life. And Cubby's son was also involved in a car wreck. He was not killed, but the car rolled over on him and took one of his legs off and severely damaged the other. To date, he's had 34 operations on his legs. They need special care. But what's been interesting about these three guys is how they've cared for each other. You see, we have to learn to care for ourselves. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, God comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others in theirs. Regular care, special care, care for ourselves. I was looking for Rick for verification. There's a song by the group called Hillsong. It's called the Desert Song. Verse 4 has a verse that's almost haunting. It says, fill me so I can be emptied again. God wants us to be filled with his word and filled with his power so we can be emptied for other people, for the Tobins and for the Eddies and for the Cubbies. God's way of care is to provide salvation to all people through his son, Jesus Christ. Our job, too, is to provide care and feeding for all. Sometimes we have problems with the care part, and sometimes we have problems with the all part. I sometimes hear people who are very well-intentioned come up with great excuses when asked to serve. Sometimes I even hear myself using words and phrases like, it's not convenient, it's not the right time, it doesn't meet my needs to serve just now or in this way. My question is, how do we pick and choose ministry based on meeting our needs? 
Jesus did not allow himself to be beaten, mocked, and nailed to a cross because it met his needs. He did it for us. He says in Mark 14 that he was filled with horror and deep distress. Jesus' words are, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He died to meet our needs, not his. He did it for you, and he did it for me. You see, sometimes we judge who we might be willing to serve or care for based on what we see. Which sheep will you feed? Which sheep will you take care of? We get caught on what's on the outside. God is looking on the inside. He spoke to the Pharisees and compared their lives to tombs, polished white on the outside, but filled with dead bones and decay on the inside. The successful guy in the three-piece suit may have needs that are masked by his outside appearance that you can't even see. The A student may have social problems that we can't even understand. The family that looks like they've got it all together may be falling apart for reasons we don't know. You see, you can't determine care by what you see. question is, could this ever be us? Could we be guilty as people and as a church of judging by appearance? Will we look outside our church walls to find people, God's sheep, to feed and to care for? So that as his word said, not one would be lost. The good news is that we don't have to do the discerning. We just have to make ourselves available. We have to pray that God will help us recognize the opportunities he gives us to provide care to others. And it's not age distinctive. It doesn't matter whether you're 18 or 80. There's no experience required, just faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and an understanding that shepherding is not always an easy task. Sometimes you have to feed and care for cheap that don't want it and don't appreciate it. You have to be willing to be inconvenienced. I had someone tell me one time that ministry would be a lot of fun if it wasn't for all the people. The problem is that you really will miss your depth and your walk with God if you don't realize that ministry is people. Which brings us to the question, if sheep are to be feed and cared for, why the church? Well, the Bible is very clear. The Bible says the church is the bride of Christ. The bride is the one that you pick above all others. 34 years ago on June 12th, I picked Linda to be my wife. If you ask her, she might tell you she picked me. Either way, we picked. We made a choice, just like God has picked the church. But the price he paid was so much higher because the church, his bride, was purchased with his blood. The church is the structure against what God's word says hell cannot prevail. It's the citadel, the high tower of the Old Testament. But what's important for us to remember this morning is it's not a physical structure. It's an organizational structure. It's people gathered together for the purpose of glorifying God. This building is just a place where the people meet. Some people use the word community, and I think it's a good word. Community is a place where we connect, seek protection, and grow so that we can serve others. God's Word speaks of being conformed by the renewing of your mind. The world would conform us with outside pressure, God conforms us with inside transformation. So if the church, then how the church? In verse 32, he says, His word will build you up and give you an inheritance. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, he writes to the elders that it's their responsibility to equip God's people. But I think the better passage is found in Romans chapter 1. He says in verse 14, I am obligated. He doesn't say it's optional. He says, I am obligated. We don't get to decide. In verse 15, he says, I am eager. I'm not only obligated, I am eager. To do what? He says to preach, to preach to those around him. I am obligated and eager to preach. And in verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed. I am obligated, I am eager to preach the gospel, and I'm not ashamed because it's God's power to save. I will take risks. The question for us today, in a world so divided, will we take risks? I fully understand and accept that it's our job to fulfill what God has called us to do. In verse 24, he says, I'm eager to complete the task. But I've also come to realize that sometimes as a church and sometimes as people, we tend to rely on others to carry the heavy load. We look to government to do things. We look to family. We look to the church. God calls us to look at ourselves. We can argue the tense of the verb go in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 26, verse 19. Does it say go, we're going? It doesn't matter because what it says after that is clear. We're called to disciple, we're called to baptize, and we're called to teach. We are called to feed and care for God's sheep. So the question as we conclude this morning I have for you, who are the shepherds in your life? Who took care of you? Who discipled you? Who brought you to Jesus? And recognizing that, will you step up? Will you become a shepherd? Will you feed and care for God's sheep? Jesus said, I have come to seek and to serve. How can you serve? Can you lead a small group? Can you minister to preschool children for an hour on Sunday morning? Can you mentor a student or a young married couple? Can you give back from what God has given you for the feeding and caring of a sheep? So where are you this morning? Have you been visiting our church for a while? And is it time for you to make a commitment to be part of this church, to be part of this community? We'd love to have you. This is a great place of connection where God's people are equipped for the feeding and caring of a sheep. Are you a member of this church? Have you been a member for a while but maybe not shepherding? We have needs too. Over 600 people worship here today, and there's room for more. You need to find a place where you can feed and care for God's sheep. Maybe you need care. Maybe you're at that point in your life where you need someone to step in and help you. We have a wealth of people here that can invest in you because others have gone before and invested in them. Or maybe you need to take that first step and recognize that you need God's presence in your life. You've never made that decision to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can do that today. Rick's going to come and lead us in a song. And while he's doing that, if you felt God speaking to you sometime this week, that maybe you need to make that decision to trust him for the very first time, don't stay where you are. You don't need to have all the answers. I'll be up front. Ryan will be up front. We would love to talk to you about that profession of faith. If this is a place that God has for you to serve, you come forward. If there's something you need to pray, come to the altar and pray. We'll be here to greet you.